This AIM Hometown Innovations podcast is sponsored by Wessler Engineering. A long-standing AIM sponsor, Wessler Engineering specializes in wastewater, drinking water, and stormwater projects. Trusted, client-focused, responsive, and cost-effective, it's how we do business. The partnerships we create are as important as the work we do. With Wessler Engineering, you are more than a project. Welcome to AIM Hometown Innovations Podcast. This podcast is designed to offer insights, best practices, and innovative solutions for the challenges facing Hoosier cities and towns. Each edition will offer ideas and inspiration while showcasing the talent and commitment of Indiana's local leaders. Enjoy the program. I'm Jennifer Simmons with AIM. Welcome to AIM Hometown Innovation Podcast. Today's podcast is really timely and extremely relevant to cities and towns. We're going to talk about employee retention and recruitment and the employment challenges municipalities have faced since the height of the pandemic. Our guest today is Dr. Kara Boyles. Kara is the city engineer for the city of South Bend. Kara, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jennifer. Pleasure to be here today. Uh, why don't you start off, just tell us a little bit about yourself, get a little background before we really dig into the issues. Absolutely. So um, as city engineer, that means I'm responsible for all public works improvements for South Bend. That includes planning, design, and construction of all capital improvements. And those are improvements related to city-owned assets, as well as private developments or redevelopments that might be um, receiving public contributions, so TIF dollars. Uh, but those improvements happening, of course, um, either on site or in the right-of-way. But the majority of time, our work is within the public right-of-way contained on city property. So things like roadway infrastructure, um, building demolitions, remodels. Utility work. Uh, we own and operate our own drinking water treatment and our um, and distribution system, as well as wastewater treatment in the collection system. So I lead a team of 19, which includes 12 engineers, all at varying levels of their careers. My team wears a lot of hats, sometimes the designer, sometimes the inspector, uh, but mostly that of project managers. And we do a small portion of design work in-house, but most of our work is performed by architectural engineering firms. And in a typical year, we initiate approximately 100 new projects. And then we review two to three times that in terms of private development. We issue all the permits in the right-of-way. Um, we update ordinances. We do resolutions and policies that go along with them. But I always say that mostly I attend a lot of meetings um, and uh, try to help manage those operations. But so, yeah. No, that's great. That's great. You know, with um, with all of the ARPA money and transportation dollars that might be coming through the the bill, you know, the the federal infrastructure law that was passed last year, community crossings. I mean, your job has to be even busier than really than you've ever seen it. That's true. It, it is. A, it's a really exciting time to be in this field. Um, uh, you know, it's even a challenge for us right now just to initiate projects because there are so many. Um, there's so many opportunities right now. I mean, the opportunities are tremendous. 
Um, we're, we're looking for as many ways as we can to leverage those opportunities to get new projects underway. Um, so yeah, it's a great time to be in the design um, and implementation of uh, capital improvements across communities. Well, that's a, actually a great segue into why we're why we're here today to talk about the workforce, right? So you have all of these exciting projects and you want to do some proactive things. It's hard to do that without people, right? So COVID has really caused an evolution in the workforce. So let's just start there. Um, start at the beginning um, about what has caused this workforce evolution. Yeah, so that's a great, great thing. I think it's important just to kind of set that foundation. I mean, the pandemic has really changed the way that we think about work and the way we think about our lives. Um, and there have been a lot of drastic changes in the workplace that have led to uh, more employee turnover, some of that voluntary, some of that mandatory. And um, we also experienced that mass work from home um, concept and, and we learned a lot about our capacity and 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 there was there was all kinds of things that happened there we started to explore some of the skills um, that maybe we didn't have time for um, before when we were working that more standard um, traditional nine to five job and um, I think we got more confident and we got um, more self-reliant as working people new skills we were empowered with and um, and what happened then, of course, that we're all aware of now, that uh, this turned into what became coined as the um, uh, uh, Great Resignation. And uh, this is a, an interesting turn, this interesting story about this. The, the gentleman who coined this term, Anthony Klotz, he's a, a psychology, organizational psychology researcher out of Texas A&M. And he was apparently interviewed by a Bloomberg reporter and uh, just kind of off the cuff, you know, said something about, um, oh, it's going to be a, a mass or a great resignation. And um, and then it went viral. So um, he, he's really a, a, an expert on quitting. And so um, and so he had a lot of insight into this. We know that in 2021, 47 million people quit their job. Um, in the first five months of 2022, 20 million people quit their job. It was in November of last year that we had the largest rate of quits where four and a half million people quit. Um, and a lot of that is in the food, um, hospitality, retail, uh, but professional and businesses, they aren't very far behind. And so, and but interestingly enough, the federal government had the lowest quit rate, which I saw. Um, so I find that interesting given the context of, of course, working in the municipal sector. No, that's great. That's a great background. And those numbers are really are staggering. I mean, you feel it, right? You feel it when you're out in the community, but to hear those numbers, it's it's still shocking. So um, I guess what you did some research into this, you know, it was bothering you, you were seeing the impact it was having just on your department and really tried to dig into what's happening. What did you find out when you looked into it closely? Yeah, I definitely had some um, turnover um, in my department specifically. Um, across the city, we have approximately 100 openings. Um, over the past year and a half, I've seen five employees now leave um, our team. And, and you know, it, it's 
true that turnover will happen. Um, I just think that what ha what's happening in this environment is that it's exacerbated um, the, the ability to take those steps, right? So people have just become more willing to take those steps. Um, I've lost um, engineers for um, positions that provide maybe more alignment with their passion, but also more compensation um, and more flexibility. I've also um, lost um, a few employees due to growth opportunities. So the ability to um, find themselves now in a, in a role where they have opportunities for growth. Um, so yeah, so I think um, those are probably factors that um, a lot of other uh, businesses and communities are experiencing. Um, so as managers, you know, we think about um, how do we minimize this um, turnover or turnover intention? And how do we encourage retention? How do we encourage commitment to um, our, our careers or our, our jobs? So I did some research that I developed as part of a course um, that I, I, I took, and um, it, was, it was focused on using what is termed evidence-based analysis. And um, we use this as a tool. Um, it, it derives um, principles from research um, evidence and translates them into practices that help us solve organizational problems. So if you like evidence, this is a, this is a fun technique. Um, the research I did centered around the steps that you would perform to um, perform an evidence-based analysis. So these allow us, us to tackle complex problems. And in the case of my research, I was looking at the factors that affect um, a woman's commitment or persistence in their engineering career. And a little context in that, um, you know, of course, why this is important is that we know that in terms of commitment and according to the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, our labor force is 40% women. And yet when you look at women in engineering careers, it's much less. So about 12% of women, 12% of, of engineers are women, but as they progress in their careers, um, by the time they've been in their careers, say 30 years, they're half as likely as men to report that they're still working. So in order to do this research, um, you're looking for consistent, reliable factors that um, help explain or provide impact for um, an outcome. And of course, that outcome here is the commitment. And so what I found was things like job attitude, <laughs> job involvement, job satisfaction. Of course, this research was specific to women in engineering. So, so identification um, as an engineer, and then of course, things like work family conflict and burnout, they all um, became substantial factors in the research. Um, I think that's interesting because while this was specific to um, um, that, that question, it's applicable across both men and women. And, and we know things take, for instance, burnout. <laughs> burnout is a very real factor. Um, burnout I, I, is interesting, you know, when we think about burnout, we think about chronic stress, right? And we know that as a result of the pandemic, um, people were at home and they were blending their, their, their work now um, with their home life. Um, and some people it's easier for them than others to detach from that. 
Um, and of course, during the pandemic, we had lots of fear, fear around getting sick. Um, and, um, and then just sort of that um, overarching sort of thought process, I think that was happening was that, am I living the life I wanna live? Am I doing work that's meaningful? So, um, you know, so all of that, I think, interesting those it's interesting I was doing this research in parallel it's, I think I started this in like 2019 and then it all sort of um, fit into a lot of what we're thinking about today and we're talking about right in the general mm -hmm. context of the workforce well that's amazing that you started this pre-pandemic that had I mean had to just change your approach and it certainly changed the outcome I would guess yeah, I think it'll be, I think it's really interesting to think about how um, <laughs> I have presented this research and I'm getting a lot of questions now about, well, what about the men? And I think <laughs> stepping back, right, and taking a more holistic view of the question is interesting sure. right now. And, and and of course, this was, this is specific to professional women. Mm -hmm. And of course, we know that um, these statistics they're probably consistent across professionals and non-professionals. And mm -hmm. so um, just looking at that too, the, 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 um, this technique specifically is interesting because again, it's, it, it stems from the concept of evidence-based medicine, but you have to have evidence in order to answer the question. Now that's not to say that anecdotal commentary or anecdotal evidence isn't you know, uh, important. I think it is but this does say, oh, here's what's been studied and here's what we know. And then, you know, using things like the meta-analysis where we can look at studies, numerous studies across fields. So now you're pulling together hundreds or thousands of studies and that will tell you something about a little more of what's the absolute effect. So what, what is that, you know, by generalizing statistically, all of that, um, you know, you're, you're still seeing things like no matter what that population is, job satisfaction and factors like work exhaustion or burnout, right? They have a high impact um, and they've, they've always had that. But I think now, I think now we're just talking about it more right. too, right? Um, That's right. We're ready, to, we're ready to have those conversations and they're important conversations. Yeah, you're right. And, and we are talking about it more. And since you've been really diving into this, how have you talked with your colleagues, sort of your fellow department heads in the city, because as you mentioned, those there aren't just vacancies in the engineering department. The city has 100 vacancies across the board. So how are you guys as managers talking about this? What are you realizing? Yes, yeah, so I'll also say real quick that um, interestingly enough, my team, my team had a had their own internal conversation not too long ago. And, um, you know, they met, I was out of the office on that day, but they amongst themselves wanted to talk about burnout and, um, and they talked about, you know, how do we prevent burnout for ourselves? And they actually talked about what, what can their manager do? So what can I do to help them prevent burnout? Which I was very, I was very appreciative. Um, you know, they were, they talked about what are the kind of indicators of burnout? So just being kind of self-aware, um, things that they could do, like, breaking things down into more manageable tasks, um, mm -hmm. maybe establishing routines and, um, and then for each other, like, you know, using each other um, to acknowledge this challenge. So um, just talking with their colleagues about um, their stress and um, just being seen and heard mm -hmm. on that. Mm -hmm. 
but they talked about, um, um, you know, for me, that the takeaways they gave to me were, you know, that occasional one-on-one -on -one meetings um, where they can share their stress and their struggle would be helpful. Um, they want to be able to do that, right, without fears. Mm -hmm. and, um, um, and it would be, it's normal for an employee to have the fear that if they tell their boss, well, I'm struggling, I can't keep up, that the natural reaction would be that their boss would say, oh, okay, I'm going to take things away from you, or I'm going to, you know, and that can be good if you want, if you need the reduction in workload, but it might for some be like, oh, uh, now, sh now they think I can't handle my work, right? Yeah. But mm -hmm. so to understand that, okay, we're going to have this conversation and the actions I'm taking for you are in your best interest and we're going to agree, right? Those are the actions that, that fit right now. Um, and maybe that maybe that's finding other resources for them. Maybe mm -hmm. that's finding others who can um, assist them and, and just general, and, and, and in general, helping them understand what their priorities are, right? So mm -hmm. if you feel overwhelmed, maybe we just need to be clear that, you know, these are the things you need to be focusing on right now. Um, you know, many of my, um, uh, you know, as managers, again, um, yeah, we do have to recognize, right, that, <laughs> that the work has changed and the way we work has changed. Um, I honestly, um, you know, I, I still feel a bit attached to the old way, um, being in the office. Um, now, I, I, I'm, I've been happy to let go of the eight to five <laughs> and have some flexibility there. Um, but, um, and, and that's it, that can be, that I think that's very common that those of us in the workforce who've been here 20 plus years, you know, mm -hmm. we have had these experiences and that's what we're used to. That's the culture that we have come to, we've grown to love. And then um, if you've been in the workforce for less than that period of time, maybe even, you know, maybe more of the, the five to 10 year mark, right? You don't have that same attachment and you know how to create culture and engage in different ways. So um, when we got that opportunity to do things like work from home, um, you know, now that has become um, um, uh, desirable, right? Working from home provides freedom. Um, it, it allows you to be a little more autonomous and, um, and I want to trust employees. I want, and I want them to know I trust them. And, but it's about learning what, it, this is a new structure and mm -hmm. how are we going to manage this new structure? And you have to have policies, I think. Um, and you have to find a way to, um, you know, move forward with those. Sure. It is certainly a lot about trust. It is, it is not just learning a new way to be an employee. It's certainly learning a new way to be a manager, right? I mean, we're just not accustomed to not seeing that person walk through the door. You're not accustomed to knowing when they leave. And I think you hit on it perfectly that it's about trust. And, um, and I think a, a lot of employees are really thriving um, with that, having that that freedom. I'm sure, of course, some are not. Um, but really, I think um, having that level of trust and freedom actually helps you get more from your team. Uh, have you seen that? 
Yeah, you know, and it's funny, um, a lot of us, I think, associate flexibility at work with things like, well, flexibility is work from home. Um, but flexibility can come in different forms. And I like to think that we have flexibility here. Um, you know, you think about how you spend your time. And of course, um, we are um, municipal employees, we have obligations, we have services that we need to meet, mm -hmm. um, we have customers we need to serve, but we also have um, the ability to kind of, uh, you know, spend time or dabble in things that um, are of interest to us. So I try to encourage my team that if you, if you see a gap or a void in some process, then, you know, then you can take it upon yourself to, um, Think about creative ways to solve these types of problems. So um, I think that helps um, our employees realize, of course, they have a stake then, right, in the work we do. It maybe helps them create an opportunity to be more engaged, uh, to love the work they do, to be more passionate about it because they're they're actually solving problems and they're mm -hmm. they're doing things that um, they're interested in. I mean, there are always going to be roles and, and, and responsibilities of our daily jobs that we may not love, but if we can integrate things that we can, you know, really be passionate about, um, I think it's going to make us all better performers. So, mm -hmm. yeah, and I think um, if you're in the municipal space uh, to begin with, you start with kind of that base level passion, right? For wanting to do the right thing for your community. So finding a way to hone in on what that is for each person and what um, really makes them tick and why they love being in public service. And, and I do think that that's a great starting point to be at, right? They're already there because they have that love and passion, or at least you hope that's why they're there. Um, and so it's a great starting point. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I try to reinforce that all the time that we get the opportunity, you know, to really make a difference in people's lives. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, you know, that as, as, a, as a city or a town, right, our mission is to deliver services and we want our um, community, we want our residents to be empowered, we want them to thrive. And, um, and, and that's a big responsibility. And so I try to continuously remind um, other colleagues of mine, um, people who work for the city, that the work we do is important. Mm -hmm. And um, while it may not be recognized, and, and that's a good thing, you know, a lot of times when when um, when nobody's saying anything to you, that means you're 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 checking all the boxes and you're you're doing everything you need to do, right? You're you're making mm -hmm. sure the the streets are in good condition. You're filling potholes, or you are, you know, the, the water's coming on. Um, your trash is getting picked up, mm -hmm. and um, and and then you know, for us up here in the north, you know, when it snows, the streets are plowed, right? You yeah. know, so if you're not hearing complaints, then that's a good thing. You are, you know, people people are happy. That's right. That's right. Because they'll they'll sure tell you when they're not. <laughs> so, well, actually, you know, this discussion about public service, um, it 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 does also make it hard, right, to make sweeping changes to employee policies and procedures. So, how have you been able to navigate that difficulty, right? Because you said it that you're you're working for the public. Um, that also means they're very strict sort of prescriptions for how you can operate within 
uh, government. So how are you able to work around that and still provide what you're hearing your employees need? Yeah, so some of those things I mentioned earlier, some of those, what I, I guess we call them critical factors that, that, that employees are looking for now, right? Those things like flexibility or maybe more compensation or opportunities to grow. Um, we just talked about maybe having a values-driven approach, right? So having an understanding mm -hmm. the mission and being connected to the mission. I think those are still, that's a critical one as well. Um, I, I have two basic priorities right now that um, uh, number one, I'm trying to create a system in which my employees want to stay with me, <laughs> and they want to they want to stay with me and they want to grow with me. So um, I'm, I'm I'm trying to hire and fill my team up, which we know is a huge challenge. And so I found that you know I I have to do those things like sell and market the work we do, and really tell the story about again how important it is. And um, you know, no day of ours is the same. So, um, and and they are exciting. And you mentioned the IIJA, right? We have amazing opportunities ahead of us. Um, South Bend actually received um, a raised planning grant, so we are beginning to start that that first process of, of um, seeing some of those infrastructure dollars. So it's exciting for us. My team, you know, they also they have this. They have these amazing opportunities that things, you know, you can choose. You may, um, you, you don't have to sit at a desk all day if mm -hmm. you want, right? You get to spend, you can spend some time in the field. Again, I mentioned if there's a there's a void in a process, then you can work on that. And then I, I try to um, encourage them to, um, you know, grow in any way you want to choose. Um, mm -hmm. You can read, you can study, you can, you know, spend time learning about, again, ways to improve our processes. Um, so um, so that those kinds of things are um, probably things you can find in the private sector, right? But mm -hmm. uh, maybe maybe there's a lack of understanding that they exist in the um, in the public sector, right? That, that we, we still have opportunities like that. Um, you know, the, the compensation is challenging, but you do have to pay people, right? You yeah. have to pay people yeah. this year. We are, um, as a city, um, Increasing salaries are, are typically we do a two percent salary raises across mm -hmm. the city. We'll do three percent. I'm actually going to change some titles around. So mm -hmm. you know we have we, we always tend to as a municipality have some sort of interesting nondescript titles for positions. Mm -hmm. So making those um, just a little better instead of an engineer two. How about we'll call you a senior engineer <laughs> because that's really what you are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and with my existing employees, you know, I've tried to give them more opportunities. Here are some opportunities um, for leadership, right? You you want to um, be a leader? Let let's find a way for you to do that. And and part of that means um, let for me letting go of things that I've always done um, and giving them that opportunity. And um, and so allowing them to lead um, special meetings. Um, I have an, in, an engineer who led a summer internship program. And so um, allowing them to take on um, aspects of the job that um, I, I understand how to do, but mm -hmm. it's time for me to give those reins up and allow someone else to step into that. Sure, so and you know what I'm hearing 
Kara, when you talk about it as culture, like it, one of your biggest assets that you have in employee retention and recruitment in a city is the culture. And so when I hear you talk about all these things, yeah, it's, you need to address dollars and cents. You can't always change personnel policies. So let's create a culture where people want to be, right? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. A lot of us think that, um, you know, if we, if we consider ourselves, you know, these little micro teams across the city, right? A lot of us think it's the leader that is the big factor that impacts mm -hmm. the team, but really it's the culture that's created mm -hmm. by that team um, mm -hmm. that can help them um, be more successful. Yeah. That's great. What a great conversation. I feel like I could do this all day, but we've probably hit our time. Is there anything we missed that really want to get out there? Um, and maybe we'll continue this conversation as this issue evolves. I would love to circle back with you. Yeah, that's been great. Um, I've, I've heard recently that, um, that a new term I've heard coined recently called the great affirmation, which is interesting. So, so that's about really affirming for those people who are still with you, right? Mm -hmm. And so while we're, we've been talking about the great resignation, we, we can also start to focus forward on the great affirmation, which is doing things for the people who have stayed, uh, mm -hmm. you know, helping them recognize that we're, we're glad you stayed and um, we want you to continue to be here and that there that we'll do what we can to make sure um, that you continue to be a part of our team. You know, before you leave, before you even consider leaving a job, give your employer the opportunity to um, understand where you're coming from. Um, you know, see if there aren't other alternatives or other ways that they can solve things for you so that you can stay. The grass isn't always greener, right? On the yeah, other side. Right. That's right. I think that's, and that's a great way to wrap up. And, you know, I'm, I'm serious. Let's circle back in, in six months or so and see how all of these efforts to see how they're translating in terms of um, retention and, and recruitment. I would love to follow up on that. Sounds great. Thanks, Jennifer. Thanks I love you. it. You bet. Thanks, Kara. The same hometown innovations podcast was sponsored by Wessler Engineering.